From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus, and today I'm joined by urban farmers Stephanie Finklia and Alex O'Hanlon. They're talking local food sovereignty, seed saving, and what's to come in urban agriculture this growing season. Basically, it's just that the community and the people have a, a say and autonomy over their food system from the seeds that are saved to what's grown out to what's available at the market and making it accessible to all to honoring the people that are growing it and how it's distributed. There's no food sovereignty without seed sovereignty. So if you don't have your own supply of seeds, you don't really have control of your supply of food. Stay tuned for our conversation after this break. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus. Think of the last fruit or vegetable you ate. Do you know where it was grown? Who cultivated it? Harvested it? Transported it to the grocery store? Could you begin to guess all of the people and places involved in making sure that apple or celery or bok choy made it to your plate? When the food production system is global, it can be easy to forget that it's possible to grow produce right here at home. Today, my guests are Stephanie Finklia and Alex O'Hanlon, two urban farmers who are involved with a number of organizations promoting food sovereignty and agriculture here in Omaha. Finklia is the owner and founder of Black Chick Farm. O'Hanlon is a coordinator at Free Farm Syndicate. Both co-founded Omaha Sunflower Co-op and collaborate on Blazing Starseed Cooperative, which aims to teach seed-saving skills and provide free seeds to the community. Here's my conversation with Stephanie Finklia and Alex O'Hanlon. Blazing Starseed Cooperative is named after one of my personal favorite native plants here in Nebraska. Tell me about this seed cooperative you guys have got going on and how it got started. We started the seed, I guess like the story of the seed cooperative was that the Omaha Public Library had a seed bank and a seed librarian. And she had forwarded the opportunity to go to a 10-day seed-saving course in Denver in, like, 2018, I think. And she couldn't go. So myself and my friend Kate Cahey went. We kind of, like, ran into each other there, got super inspired, and, like, came back to Omaha. And we're like, we got to do something. Met with the seed librarian at the Omaha Public Library, and she kind of just identified ways that the seed library wasn't functioning how she wanted to and like what she could use for support and was like pretty clear about it, which was great. And so then um, we developed, uh, we started doing seed school, which the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, they had like given us all this curriculum to use. So they gave us a really good start. And then in some of the seed schools that we were doing, uh, like in 2020, after there was like a run on seeds that spring, the conversation at seed school was like, we need to be not just learning how to save seeds, save seeds, but like producing our own seeds locally, like at scale to where like that's the seed that's featured in the Omaha Public Library seed library. And so um, that's where we started was in the fall of 2020 being like, yup, good idea. And where'd the name come from? Kate came up with it. We were just trying to think of like something that would set a place so we were like eastern nebraska and western iowa seed cooperative okay something that sets the place but doesn't necessarily tell you exactly what it is and blazing star or liatris is a prairie flower and it's kind of like a big bright purple tail that sticks out and blooms in august so it's a uh, native to this part of this area so I started joining blazing star in, in 2020 came to seed processing days in the fall a large seed company stopped sending seeds to small-scale backyard gardeners and only sent to commercial gardeners. And that's when it was just like, oh, whoa, if something happens to the distribution of seeds, what are we going to do if there's an issue with our grocery stores, which we saw that in 2020 as well. So I'm grateful that Kate and Alex decided to start this process. How did you become so passionate about being urban farmers? I started eating farm to table years ago, and it was very expensive to go to restaurants that were doing that. And I thought, that's insane, because if you're gardening organically or you're farming organically, you're not adding all these chemicals that you have to purchase. You're not adding all these fertilizers that you have to purchase. Why 
why when food grows just like this, does it cost more to access? And so I started gardening in my backyard, thinking that red bell peppers might be a little less expensive in that way, <laughs> then coming to realize that they're worth the price. <laughs> and it's just, you even have to wait a lot longer to get that red or yellow or orange bell pepper. So the farmer's spending a lot more time and a lot more inputs um, to get that. So then finding that farmers don't actually get that price. Um, it's more the distributors and the grocery stores that are actually making those big profits. Um, yeah, but so I started growing and fall, really fell in love with just the ecosystem that comes along with that, all the birds and the insects and um, lost my fear of spiders and wasps because <laughs> I realized they were garden friends rather than um, pe- insects that are trying to harm me. Um And I just wanted to share that more with people. So I started working for The Big Garden uh, as their education coordinator, left there in 2020 as the director of education um, to really pursue Black Chick Farm and to start Omaha Sunflower Cooperative with Alex. I mean, my background, I used to like avoid doing yard work with my mom. (laughs) And uh, then, I don't know, at some point, like in college, I like planted a couple tomatoes and some cucumbers and... I loved it. I was like, I'm kind of like, I was just sort of like, there's things I'll try really hard at and I'm never good at. But like this, I just kind of like naturally came to me. Like it was easy for me to do it for a long time. I, you know, I don't always get results, but like I was getting enough back that it was like keeping my interest. And, um, and then I like studied history and philosophy in school and college and like, you know, I think that I was like trying to figure out like what the right thing to do is. And after, you know, after a while, I was just like, okay, it's like really hard and complicated. And, you know, I think that what we can try to do is just like, like I really got focused on like acting in small ways, like, you know, so trying to treat like people with respect, earth with, you know, like land with respect, that sort of thing. And I think the approach that we take to gardening and the way that we try to like, um, produce in the community is like just trying to act out like you know figure out values and act out values um, so I think that's kind of like what kept me pretty like focused on wanting to keep doing it and so I like traveled and worked on different farms and worked on some like small organic farms in California for like six years and then moved back and started helped to start uh, Benson Bounty, um, which is like a small market garden, killing it here in Omaha. Um, but then like it's really hard to, to make a living as a market gardener. And so um, I kind of wanted to try a different approach. And so that's why um, I started, you know, with some other folks, started Free Farm and then Sunflower Co-op and Blazing Star Seed Co-op. <laughs> and uh, yeah, now just have like a very active... Um, gardening social life. Tell me about this community of urban farmers you guys have kind of brought together and what are those values that you were talking about of of these farmers and how does that maybe differ than farmers out in western Nebraska versus the urban farmers here that you've um, come to be friends with? I mean, I can't speak for the values of anybody else or other farmers, but I know that from my point of view, it's very much like I don't know. It's like many hands make light work. And so like, how do you get many hands there? And you have to engage on this level of like, we're not just doing this like for a dollar, like, because if we were, we would need to stop, you know, and, um, and I think that, I don't know, like, there's like these, there's this, this is like a hard question to answer. <laughs> Sorry. No, but right. I do feel like this is like, a way to build like cooperation skills and also like good tangible skills for like how to take care of each other whether it be like we're growing food for each other or like you know we're working together and like I'm tired today and so someone's gonna pick up my slack and like showing that kind of care towards each other like by doing it as like this collective um but then it's also like a way to like get people involved like it is like a tool for organizing too around like issues because like I know for me that like the farm bill was always this big amorphous thing and it's still this big amorphous thing but I feel like I can understand like global food crises and like industrial agriculture and 
you know, and food policy, like U.S. food policy, because I do like work in some way in that area, like through these projects. Um, and so I feel like by engaging other people in that, they kind of can start to understand these things that feel very far away, like they don't, you know, that are like hard to grasp, but it's like, it's a good way to like understand like farmers' rights and like um, the sort of sort of exploitation that goes on in the majority of the food that we eat. Because once you're like, you know, like Stephanie was pointing out, like you think like, I mean, like food is too expensive, but also people don't get paid enough to produce food. And I think when you're actually growing food, you're like, yes, I understand that concept. And like, this is a system that needs to change. And this can be like my entrance for engagement on it. Okay, so for us city dwellers, let's go back like a few sentences. What is this farm bill you're talking about? It's a it's it's a lot of money that Congress uh, passes a new farm bill every 10 years. And that money is directed towards different type of agriculture, but also like SNAP benefits are included in the farm bill and things like that. Huh. Um, and so that so it's like you know, for people who are doing like projects around growing food, it's a great way to like get funding, but it's also like how how agriculture is funded um, by the, you know, through the government. So it's, it's really big. And yeah, I feel like it's, like I said, like, there's a lot to engage in on it. And um, there are organizations and like a few people that like we work with, um, were engaged in some organizing around that. So like talking to senators and Congress people about like what they wanted to see in the farm bill, what would help the projects that they're doing. So there's some like national organizations that do a lot of policy work with young farmers getting, you know, their their points of view and, and what they would like into like at least heard by folks who are deciding how to design the bill. So where's the disconnect between food being expensive and farmers not getting paid their worth? I mean, I think it's a lot of like distributors, like a lot of like middlemen costs. I think especially in industrial agriculture, usually like the people that are like working are not the owners. That's one thing is just like profits are being captured in the middle. There's also like a lot of especially processed food is like heavily subsidized. That's kind of how some forms of farming that wouldn't otherwise be profitable can be profitable when it comes to like smaller farmers and like where the disconnect is. It's just like Steph was saying, like, it's just that there is this set price on what food is. And a lot of that is because of subsidies and also because of scale. Like you can, you know, scale. And when you're not paying people a fair wage, um, you can sell things at like a cheaper price. So then somebody that is doing it with, say, like a two or three person or maybe a one person team out there and then going to the market to sell it or like talking to restaurants and like trying to sell it like you're doing the job of like four people so um but then at the same time it's like if you're competing with say like in the restaurants and you're like okay i planted these carrots in april i watered them every day so like i came out and spent my time and my money on water watering them every day and then i fretted over when to harvest them and then i spent three hours harvesting them and washing them and you know and then and then like figuring out how to take it to this person if i'm supposed to get paid twenty dollars an hour for that for all of that those carrots just became 120 dollars a pound or something like that but i'll be hard pressed to get you know four dollars a pound because they could get it from somebody else for a cheaper price Okay, so talk to me about some of the ecological challenges that you guys are addressing with this um, Blazing Star Seed Co-op. Some of the ways that seed saving specifically can help to address some like ecological issues is, well, when we seed save native plants and then we plant those out, like helping to create habitat for native pollinators, especially in urban areas where there might not be plants for like large distances, the more that we can fill in the types of plants that those pollinators can stop and like eat on, um, then the better those populations will be. Um, and so the better the pollinator pop populations are, the better the native plants are, better native plants are, the better the ecosystem is. Um, so it's one, you know, one part of that process. And then I think that like when it comes to like vegetables, when we're seed saving, we'll do like a selection. It's called the process of selection. Um, <laughs> Ooh. But, you know, if I have 15 tomato plants growing and I can tell that it's it's just been getting drier for a long time. So, like, if I keep part of my selection process is just choosing the plants that do the best 
in my garden, then I'm choosing plants that do the best in my garden. They're becoming adapted to that space. With selection, you can just choose what's the best, but you could also be more intentional by choosing the plants that did the best when you watered, when you didn't water them a whole lot. Or maybe you could grow, you know, so you could, in that way, you would be selecting for um, drought tolerance. One thing that we've selected for in recent years is with squash. Pretty much they just always get taken over by squash bugs. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So we that. So we've been growing out, like, lots of different varieties of squash. And then the ones that don't seem bothered by the squash bugs, we save seed from. So we're trying to, you know, and so that way it's like, okay, we're not good. And then that is, like, a good thing ecologically because our approach to dealing with the squash bugs is not to use a pesticide. It's to breed something that can live or resist with that with that thing that's there. Last year, the the winter squash that did really good was uh, Magic Kashaw, uh, Large Fruited Seminole, and Small Fruited Seminole. <laughs> um, and we got those seeds originally from Southern Exposure Seed Exchange. And like I said, we started with like seven varieties of squash, and those three survived and thrived. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with urban farmers and local food production advocates, Stephanie Finklia and Alex O'Hanlon. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a review. Or you can call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. We need to take a step back and go back to the basis of what is your guys' cooperative and what is the importance of seed saving and how do you involve the community in the processing and all of that? Blazing Star Seed, Co- <laughs> Blazing Star seed Cooperative's mission um, is to really build a robust seed saving community um, and educate people on seed saving. And for me, I think I think in, whenever you go into this kind of endeavor, it's got to be a little personal so that you're dedicated and committed to it. And for me, I feel like it's just such a ancestral heritage act and radical thing to do to just be with your community and saving seeds in this really, I mean, I hate to use the word primitive, but but basic down-to-earth way where you're actually hands-on winnowing and getting your hands wet in the wet seed-saving process and you're building these pieces of wisdom together and communally when we've been for centuries now, at least in America, in this space where we're all so very individualistic and we're taught to do it on your own and and keep Mm -hmm. that knowledge to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so seeds as a way to sustain a community and a group doing it together just feels really good. The goal of the seed co-op is education and infrastructure for a robust seed saving culture. So that education is like seed saving classes throughout the season. We just did some planning for seed saving classes at the library in the union. Um, And then we're going to do tomato seed saving at the library in the union and pepper seed saving at the library in the union. Um, Tomatoes in August and peppers in September. That's kind of like the infrastructure is like, or that's kind of the education. And then the infrastructure is like the seed processing days and the coordinated growing. So, um, and then also like our distribution. So the seed processing days are every Sunday in October and then probably some Saturdays or Sundays in November. The first year we did it, we did them all at Reformed. Last year we did most of them at Reformed and we did um, one at Fabric Lab. And I think we're looking to maybe do a couple at Fabric Lab this year. So um, the seed processing days are we have all of the tools that you need to process seeds and experience like, well, we're sort of experienced seed savers. Like we got three or four years under our belt. So but like somebody who's maybe done it before and we kind of troubleshoot as a group, like what's the best way to seed save this thing. Um, But so that's something that like if you're saving seed at your house, you can bring it to the seed processing days and kind of like, cause like seed saving is such a huge topic to like listen to a webinar about it could be inspiring, but it's to me at least it was still intimidating. So I'm like, what if you could go somewhere and be like, I saved this, you know, like lettuce seed 
like I, I cut it off. What do I do next? And so, so you can just like have that like, well, here's all the supplies you need. Here's some background information. Here's some people who will talk about <laughs> seeds for four hours straight. Uh, and then we also coordinate growing to stock our seed bank. So anybody that wants to participate, we have like a spread. It's a lot of spreadsheets. Um, but we have a spreadsheet where we kind of have like, like Stephanie's going to save San Marzano tomatoes. Started that trend. Mm, um, so it's actually the <laughs> seed of the year. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Okay. <laughs> but the coordinated growing would be like, well, Stephanie's going to save San Marzano's. And then so I'll save Mary Reynolds tomatoes. So that way we can have two varieties in our seed bank. Um, but we also know that like we'll have the free farm stand or we can like trade with each other so that Stephanie's not just stuck eating San Marzano's all year and I'm not just stuck eating Mary Reynolds, which never happens because we freeze them. (laughs) 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 And we saw some in the winter, but um, so that's kind of like the infrastructure is like getting everybody together to be like, how can we have as many varieties as possible? Getting everybody the education. How can we know as much as possible? Like this year we're trying to do kind of like a wisdom sharing where like everybody chooses a seed at the beginning of the year and then at seed processing days kind of like shares about their experience watching that plant go to seed this year. Um, And so they're kind of like leading and we're all getting that knowledge from each other. Kind of getting back into it. Okay, let's go back to the seed of the year because you guys got so excited about that. Tell me more. Yeah, uh, well, San Marzano, it's the most delicious tomato for making sauce. I won't say that for every culture, but I have certainly experienced that. Um, Got the seed from True Love Seeds and read the description and they just said it was so good. And so grew it out and made sauce with it and it was incredible. I've never seen a tomato sauce peak like that. (laughs) I mean. Velvet. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Like, and just so creamy and flavorful. Rich. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I would absolutely describe it that way. Yeah. The pulp of the fruit is not, it's like jelly. Yeah. Where the where the seeds are. So normally, you know, in, you know, regular tomatoes, either seeds really juicy and like dripping, but no, it's like jelly gelatin in the middle. So it's really easy to mash it out, and doesn't take very long for the sauce to thicken. Yeah, really good producer. You get a really good yield um, in its first flush, and then I think if our season was a little bit longer, you might get a good second flush. But some still does come after you after you pick it the first time. Yeah. And so, so Steph grew these kind of just for fun in 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we were like doing tomato sauce that year. And Stephanie was like, I want to try to make one batch that's just San Marzano's. So then it was, so that's when everyone like fell in love with this. To- I mean, it already, we had like been falling in love all summer, but then like the deal had been sealed. And so when it came to choosing the seed of the year for the next year, San Marzano uh, was was uh, selected by popular demand of the seed share committee. Um, (laughs) But the seed share, the seed of the year is every year we choose one seed. It's like the special seed that year. So we have at the seed share, it has its own special packet. There's a, there's usually like some sort of art installation that is related to it. And then um, we do like seed saving updates throughout the season, like on social media. And it's like housed on the City Sprouts website. So Stephanie uh, did like a video about how to start San Marzano seeds. Um, And then they were, you know, we made sure that the San Marzano, because it's a seed of the year, that it was being sold at the Omaha Sunflower Co-op plant sale. And we just make the seed and then in this case, the plants as available as possible, along with all the information about how to save it and that step-by-step process. I think the idea has always been that like at seed processing days, we would like do something super fun with it. But um, like I said, we're still we're still young. So I think the seed of the year for 2022 was like the Cherokee purple. And we were just like, oh, did anyone save those? <laughs> but this San Marzano year is like now you're motivated. It's going to be big. Yeah. So we'll probably make like special 2023 seed of the year sauce, that sort of stuff. Is it too late to plant that kind of tomato? No. You want 20? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. yes. The co-op has several pretty pretty decent sized plants that you could have okay exciting yeah. where can people find out where to get those 
You can DM us on Instagram, (laughs) sunflower underscore co-op, or send us an email, Omaha Sunflower Co-op at gmail or grow at o scoops o s c o o p s dot I'm talking with urban farmers and community organizers Stephanie Finklia and Alex O'Hanlon about how to grow your own food and why you should. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. Welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus. You can subscribe and hear previous episodes of the show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is. Today I'm joined by Stephanie Finklia and Alex O'Hanlon, urban farmers and local food production advocates. They're talking about why you should care about locally grown food and how to get involved. Here's the rest of our conversation. Let's get back into this, uh, the goal of the Blazing Star. You said it's kind of to move toward community food sovereignty in multiple ways. So what is the working definition that you guys have for community food sovereignty? Yeah, I did a panel on this not too long ago, and there's like several principles to it. Um, But I think basically it's just that the community and the people have a, a say and autonomy over their food system from the seeds that are saved to what's grown out to what's available at the market um, and making it accessible to all to honoring the people that are growing it and how it's distributed. There's no food sovereignty without seed sovereignty. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have your own supply of seeds, you don't really have control of your supply of food. Right. And then I think just to like underscore what Stephanie was saying, like, It's about access, like being able to access food, feeling confident in your ability to access food. And it's about culture, like maintaining culture through your maintaining wider culture through food culture and seeing, you know, those intertwining values. Yeah. And I do want to add, not just respecting the farmer, but also respecting the earth and all life forms that are involved in the process of food. The wasps and the spiders, too. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And honoring the land. How do people honor land? Ooh, for me, it's working with the earth in ways that are reciprocal. So I'm not trying to take things that I can't put back into the earth. So composting and things like that and growing out native species, planting native species, saving seeds from native species to recognize that this is the home of many native pollinators and like Alex was saying earlier it's their food that they eat it's their habitat that they live in these are their dwellings so giving back in that way yeah I think that uh some things are like just observation so like instead of always being like I'm gonna grow a tomato here no matter what kind of being like (laughs) okay tomatoes don't really grow here well here like what does what's working like You know, I think like that is interesting to me, but I wonder a lot because about what honoring land is, because sometimes I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm like connecting with nature right now. But then like when I'm gardening, like I'm trying to have a lot of control, Mm. especially with seed saving, because it's like all about timing and distance. You know, it's like like the other day I kind of like had this realization where I'm like, all a plant wants to do is go to seed like that's. That's its MO. That's what that's like its life cycle, right? And like with seed saving, you're like, let me give you everything you need. Oh, here's the like, oh, whatever you need right here, right now. And then right, like, especially with dry seed saving, but like one of the things about seed saving is that you need to time your harvest like right before it goes to seed. So it's like this thing is like about like you've been caring for it the whole time and it's about to go to seed and you're like, gotcha. When I like thought about that, I was like, oh, my gosh, like here I am, like thinking that I'm like doing this plant a favor when really I'm just like trying to put the plant in service to me. But then I am getting that plant to lots of different places. Like I know a lot about lettuce, like so much more than I knew about lettuce four years ago. And (laughs) so it's kind of like it's a relationship, too. But I think it can be complicated. So I'm curious about your focus. You aren't self-sufficient or community-sufficient, but rather community-run networks. Tell me more about what that looks like. We are actually self-sufficient in dried fish peppers right now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think that that line, Stephanie, you were talking about this before, like, I don't want to grow all of my own food. 
I don't want my collective to grow every single thing that I eat. Like, I want to eat food from other places. I want to eat food from other cultures. I want to travel to those places and experience how they're doing things differently. Um, I just want to be one node in a thriving network of communities that are like supporting themselves, but like with interrelationally. So like trading seeds, trading tips, trading food and like lemons, you know, when they're ripe in December, like let's go out to California, harvest a bunch of lemons and bring them <laughs> back. Carl smell great. Alex, you were recently accepted into residency in Mexico City with Fortuna. Mm-hmm. And we're able to connect with other urban ag practitioners down in Mexico City. And I'm eager to hear what you observed and what Omaha can learn from the methods. Yeah, it was a great it was a great opportunity. And Abril and Allegra run that residency program. And they were both did like an amazing job of connecting me with people doing really similar work, but also work that was like adjacent in super interesting ways. I met with a bunch of people who are basically doing very similar projects to what we're doing. Um, So urban farms, um, seed collectives that are based off of urban farms. There's this one collective called um, ISIS, like uh, Intercambio de Saberes, Intercambio de Semillas. So like uh, exchanging knowledge, exchanging seeds. And it's a group of like five farms that saves, they coordinate growing and save seed on their lots, but then they like do education and seed shares together. So that was awesome, and I connected with, like, a few people from that group, and it was just kind of funny because it was, like, hanging out with, like, the Mexico City version of me. <laughs> like, we were just kind of, like, finishing each other's sentences, and I was like, yep, perfect. <laughs> um, uh, and then I also got to, like, meet with people who are doing more, like, um, taking, like, concepts from, like, food sovereignty or growing and sort of applying them to more, like, social realms. Um and that was really interesting. Uh, one of the artists I met, Danny, has a radio show called like um, Poner Junto. So it's like come together, or, like put together, and it's about social compost. So like how do how do like other systems like come together and create something new in that same sort of idea, whether it be like super literally or more like figuratively, I guess. I want to listen to that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, you can get it in the back of our zine. Um, I would say that uh, that was like one of the first efforts at like, hey, we have this seed bank here. We have this information because now we have an almanac. And so like one of the things that I did when I was there was to like do a um, a just a seed saving guide in the form of a zine, which I'd never really done printing. So that was like really cool for me um, to get to to get that opportunity to learn how to do that. And uh, we made a seed saving guide in Spanish so that like when I was like going places, I could be like exchanging. And it also like explained a little bit about the project. Um, So it was just like a good way to kind of be like, okay, like let's stay in touch. Like here's, here's something that I created. Like this is why I'm about. It's an elevated business card. It's a, yeah, it is a very complicated business card. <laughs> um, we did a risograph, so it was like, it was really fun. But Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, the idea then is that like, I kind of think of it as like, you know, I we want to do this ev- like in cities in the United States. We want to do it in like other countries, but kind of this idea of like proactive mutual aid, like making the connections before you need them. Mm. Um, And I think that's something I was going to say when you asked us our values earlier is I was like, a big one is fun. Like this like has to be fun. So it's like we want to make connections before we need them so that we can like enjoy those connections and not just, you know, not be like we only need these connections because like now there's like a crisis or something, but rather like we have these real social connections with people in other parts of the country and world and we can support each other in that way. Well, I feel like you just answered my next question, which is why is collective action so important for solving it for food scarcity? Uh, I think we kind of touched on it, too, is this that it's not going to be so isolated and singular. If I'm having an issue, I can I can know that I have a collective of people that will support me. Many hands make light work. In like, yeah. I think that like one criticism sometimes that people will make of like urban farming is like it's not really gonna feed the world, 
And it's like it can certainly feed us like our vegetables for six months out of the year and more apples than anybody could eat in September. Mm. But it's just it's one node. And so if we're using it at like why is collective action important is because to solve these issues, like we have to change the culture. We have to change the way that we approach these things. And to make like permanent change, we need to start on this ground level of like, why don't we just approach this entirely differently? And why don't we make approaching it differently as accessible as possible? And so then we can measure success, not just as like every single person in the city is completely well-fed because there's enough food being produced in the world for every single person to be well-fed. That's not the issue. The issue is who's in charge of where it goes, where it goes, and if it goes there fast enough. So mm-hmm. like we need, and you know, we could focus all our energy on figuring that out, but that's, that's a social and a power structure. It's not a production issue. So what we're trying to do is to approach it from a social structure. Going back, you mentioned this Farmer's Almanac that you recently had published, and that kind of came together from information from all over the community. So tell us more about it. I know it's called Groundwater, which is a has a unique uh, relationship to Nebraska as well. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so the Almanac um, kind of started as an idea with our friend Isabel, um, she was like, we should make a seed-saving zine. And I was like, what if it was 100 pages? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, um, I'll hook you up with some people. Um, maybe not a zine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so we were kind of talking about that idea. And to start, we wanted to have, it, it, was, a, it was about seed-saving. Like, we wanted to have a seed-saving zine about, like, basic seed-saving principles and also, we wanted to be able to communicate with people about, like, what is Blazing Star, what is the seed bank, and what seeds do we have, and how can you get them? And I always say that, like, my elevator speech for, I don't always say this, but I do frequently say that my elevator speech for the seed co-op would be to just, like, press the stop button in the elevator and be like, hold on, hear me out. Because it, like, takes a long time to explain. Like, there is no 30-second pitch for the seed co-op. Um, so we thought like if we could have like a tool where it's like if you want to know more, you can you can read all about it right here. And so as we were doing that, I had also just been talking with friends for years about how cool it would be to have like our own almanac where we could like, you know, talk about like, you know, the year the lilacs bloomed in November, that sort of thing. And last year the lilacs bloomed in November. So I was like, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the sign. We need it. Yeah. So it was about a year and a half long process to get this started. But we just did like call outs through like, I don't know, Instagram, email. That You know, like put some posters up around town to just kind of be like, hey, we're producing a farmer's almanac. We're looking for poems, paintings, pictures planting guides, anything that you feel like tangentially relates to, to like food production. But even then, it's like really just anything that relates to, um, I guess, yeah, maybe food culture. Um, so we got like, tw- we I think we got 19 contributors. Um, and we have cool stuff like Stephanie wrote about the how the Omaha Sunflower Co-op started. And our friend Dex wrote about a trip that they organized out to Meadowlark Hearth Farms to learn about seed saving. And um, other folks produced like um, planting guides or poems or, um, you know, we had a couple recipes in there. Could go heavier on the recipes this next year. but Especially so. with those tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, <laughs> so now we're getting ready. To, so we published that and then we also has our seed catalog in the back. So it has all of the seeds that are available in the seed bank. And I got to write like the sassy little descriptions of them. Oh, my goodness. So that part was pretty fun. You wrote a few too, Steph. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of what the almanac is. And then like right now, it's called Groundwater because, you know, we're thinking about what's so unique about Nebraska. And it's like, well, we're on top of a giant aquifer. Doing a little research, I found out we're actually on top of many aquifers. And I'm not going to go too deep into this, but there's multiple carbonated mineral springs in Omaha. And there used to be water bottling, like carbonated water bottling facilities in Omaha, 
one where Dingman's is across the street from Olivers and one across the street from City Sprouts South on uh, Best Community Garden in South Omaha on 18th and N. So, Are they still accessible? Uh, no, because they have buildings over them because they were like they were using the spring to bottle water. But it's just it's really interesting. But it's just to say that, like, we've got groundwater here that bubbles up in all sorts of ways and we don't even know about it. And I could keep talking about it, but uh, we're putting together the 2024 almanac. So if anybody wants to contribute to that, we're taking contributions Um and I think our Instagram is blazing star underscore co-op. <laughs> so that's where if people want to can submit or if, learn where where to email. Exactly. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with urban farmers and local food production advocates, Stephanie Finklia and Alex O'Hanlon. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app where you can also leave us a review. Or you can call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. I read in this groundwater book that some of the weeds we pull were originally cultivated crops. Which ones are we talking about here? I'm going 85% magpie wrote that and probably knows more of that information. But I will say that um, I think plantain came over um, like a, where there's a native plantain and then there's also like a European plantain um, that I think was a, a originally cultivated like for lawns before uh, people started planting more like Kentucky bluegrass. I know yellow dock is a plant that came over from Europe with settlers and it actually like preceded that, preceded them though. And so... Um, Native Americans were utilizing yellow dock seeds to make flowers or to make like flowers, like not like flowers, like what you grind down and then eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are some of the things that I know that are like considered weeds that at one time were cultivated. Um, dandelions are edible. Dandelions all, are edible. All of that stuff. Burdock. Mm. Yeah. Burdock's good. Yeah. And maybe we'll put that in the almanac next year. The exact ones. So where can people purchase this groundwater book or for 2024, the almanac, excuse me? Yeah. I mean, I know that right now there's two copies at Myrtle and Cypress that have not sold. <laughs> and uh, we we were doing pop-ups with them. We had them at the plant sale. Um, but right now we honestly like ran out of them. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So um, next year, I'd say just like follow our Instagram and we'll have all the places that we're going to have it out. Um, We're hoping to get some grant funding so we can up the printing and print out more more copies for next year. It seems like every other week we seem to be facing different ecological disasters. So how does this work of seed saving and community building address climate change? I think... One of the ways is that uh, when people interact with plants, they are interacting with ecologies and can understand those concepts a little bit better um, or maybe become more familiar with those concepts. And so that can help them to advocate for policies and also implement policies like in their yard differently. Um, I think especially with like, you know, just pollution in general, like a lot of there's a lot of runoff and a lot of like gasoline use, pesticide, you know, there's a lot of like chemical use in yard care if you do it a certain way. So introducing people to different ways to approach looking at that and also ways that they can advocate at higher levels, I think um, can be helpful with climate change. Um, It can be helpful to just, yeah, change the way that we approach that. What have you seen in your own farm, Stephanie? Yeah, um, I use I use drip irrigation. Um, I do also have a, a lot a couple blocks from my home that doesn't have any water access to it at all. Um, so I try to look for things that are drought tolerant. Um, right now, there's a prairie strip on it with native species um, that I'm just trying to keep that strip going. Um, planted it in the fall, and now it's like we'll let you do what you do, um, and they're doing pretty well. Um, but yeah, just trying to look for low water input things to grow, saving seed from stuff that does well um, without a lot of water input. Um, 
trying to go, yeah, trying to go drier this year, um, implementing a lot more of uh, soil health techniques. Um, so covering the soil with straw or burlap, um, that helps, you know, keep weed suppression and, and as well as keeping moisture into the soil. Um, and then also not being so particular about weeds. Um, I'm learning that the earth has taught me that they're fine. It's going to be okay. For a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let it be there. It's okay. Um, I'm still I'm not at the stage where I'm letting them go to seed and like be wild. Um, but I'll pull them and lay them back down on the ground and let those nutrients go back into the soil again. And um, yeah, that's that's made growing more fun for me and less stressful and uh, less work on my back. (laughs) (laughs) On your Instagram, I saw three of your members of the community just allowing seeds to fall through their hands during one of the seed processing days, and they had the biggest smiles on their faces. But I want to know what members of the community learn on one of these days and also how it impacts not just their knowledge related to earth, but their knowledge related to self. That was a really fun picture to take. <laughs> so uh, at seed processing days, we do uh, we usually start with like a short educational opening of just like what are basic seed saving principles, what is the Blazing Star Seed Cooperative, what are we going to do today. We always have like coffee and donuts to start. We also do a late start, like noon. And then we break up into groups and... Well, we've done it lots of different ways, but what we're trying to do is like break up into groups and then we'll talk about like, okay, now we're going to seed save tomatoes. And someone will explain like, this is how you seed save a tomato and they'll demonstrate this is how you seed save a tomato. And then you seed save like 300 tomatoes. So at the end of that, you're like pretty clear on how to seed save a tomato. (laughs) But like some things like tomatoes, squash, you know, we let them ferment. So sometimes we'll have one group, like by the second week, we'll have one group off seed saving tomatoes that we collected that week. And we'll have another group that's straining them from last week and drying them. So we kind of try to break up the process into different stages and then assign people to that stage. The tasks kind of change every week just based on what we have and what point in the process we're at. But the goal is just to get as many people involved as possible to see the entire process. You know, we always have food. We always have like a lot of good food made with like the produce that we've produced. Um, And we always have music. So we try to make it as fun as possible. And we try like one of the major things that we wanted was to create a space where we could be like doing something really intentional and then also like what conversations come out of that. So like the almanac is came out of a conversation had at seed processing days. And I think so many other projects have come out of uh, seed processing days as well and like friendships. Um, so I think that, you know, I hope people learn that they're really valuable members of the community that are like respected and liked by lots of people. Yeah, I think that camaraderie and companionship and learning that there are so many other people in in Omaha and surrounding areas that are like-minded and you're not alone. Um, so what does success look like in five years, 20 years? <laughs> I want so many things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I think some things that success might look like could be the projects still exist Mm. and they do have like new leadership Um, and, you know, but like I would still like to be involved, (laughs) you know, but like that sort of thing where it can be like, I, I think it would be amazing if it's like these things are still happening and I think that like one thing we started talking about a lot was like access and like what we had to do is like get access for ourselves first. And so now that we're like getting our feet under us a little bit, I'd say that I hope that we can like continue to build this engine that creates access for more people, more projects, more creative ideas that really like build, build the culture in general. Yeah. Yeah, definitely more, more, black indigenous and people of color farmers in the cooperative (laughs) um seeing more leadership there um why is that important to you oh well when i started i didn't know really anybody who wasn't white 
that was doing this work and that felt really isolating um, and intimidating. And there's a lot of comfort in spaces where I, I don't feel othered or only. Um, and so I want to see more people feel that way and get involved. And, and there's a lot of wisdom that, that they have and they can share with people because they don't do it in that same way. They have different relationships with the land or with these specific plants or their culture. And um, I think that's a big part of food sovereignty as well is getting their cultural aspects of wisdom and knowledge and, and food um, involved. This is amazing. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you guys. Before we go, what are the next events coming up uh, this summer that people can attend if they're wanting to get involved with your guys' co-ops? Free farm stands are going 10 to noon. Uh, Saturdays, 10th and Bancroft, and 10 to noon Sundays, 29th and Myrtle. I mean, seed processing days are going to be every Sunday in the fall. In, sorry, sorry, every Sunday in October. And then we'll also have a few... And that's from noon to four at um, Reformed on South Twenty on 20th and Vinton. And then um, we'll also probably do a few at Fabric Lab in November. Um, so those would be kind of like the upcoming events. Um, and then I guess there's going to be also seed saving classes at the library and um, and the union in August and September as well. So lots of stuff. Perfect. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think just following the Instagram would be the best way to stay up on that. Um, does the Sunflower Co-op have anything? Um, not right now, not yet. Yeah, not work yet. days on Sundays. Work days on Sundays from nine to noon. From thank you. Yes, fourth uh, indicator. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, we'll probably be participating in Whispering Roots Nurture Omaha Farmers Markets popping up kind of all over. So that'll be a calendar that'll be put out later on this next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so follow our Instagram or Whispering Roots is the organizer of that so you can follow them too uh omaha sunflower co-ops instagram is sunflower underscore c-o-o-p yeah and blazing star seed cooperatives instagram is blazing star underscore (laughs) co-op perfect thank you guys so much for helping omaha's community grow had to have a pun in there and for speaking with me today it's always a pleasure yeah thanks thanks for having us thank you yeah it was great Riverside Chats was created by Tom Noblock and is a production of 91.5 KIOS Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. The original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. We'd love it if you'd leave us a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Maria Corpus.